covering all aspects of Milwaukee Brewers baseball. It's time for Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Here is your host, Matt Pauley. And we do welcome you into another edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. We are powered by WTMJ Mobile. My name is Matt Pauley, coming your way for uh, the first time, really, since the Brewers season came to an end. Last Sunday, technically, the season was over, but we, uh, we were always record this on Sunday nights. And last Sunday, we were recording just after the season had ended, so it was still on a day of a, of a game day. This week, we come your way, and the season has been over for a full week as we've been able to spend some time looking back on what, in my estimation, was a really good season. But we can also start looking forward to a season next year where, obviously, from an outside perspective, there are going to be heightened expectations going into that season. And we'll get into that uh, a bunch as we go through the course of the program today. A few housekeeping types of things to get to, first and foremost. Uh, if you uh, do want to get in contact with me, the best way to do so generally is on Twitter. If you uh, follow me or just tweet at me, whatever you want to do, however you want to get in contact with me on Twitter, at Matt Pauley on air, M-A-T-T-P-A-U-L-E-Y on air. You could also drop me an email if you'd like, matt.pauley at WTMJ.com. If you uh, do listen to the podcast through Apple Podcast, if you can take a moment and uh, leave a review, That'd be fantastic. I know we've gotten a bunch more recently. I, I kind of keep an eye on that because the more reviews we get, uh, the better we show up in the standings and more people find the podcast, and it's just kind of a domino effect from there. So it's very much appreciated if you can uh, find that. Uh, we'd like as many people to be listening to this podcast uh, as possible. Uh, really enjoy being able to do it, and I hope the listeners be enjoy being able to uh, listen to it as well. On the program this week, as we uh, really do a look-back edition of Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, uh, we are going to have the guy who uh, we have on a lot. He's probably uh, been on more than anybody else. Sometimes I affectionately refer to him as the executive producer of the program because when I first got started here, uh, he helped get me connected with a lot of folks and has really been uh, very helpful and very supportive of this podcast. Uh, that is Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. He's good join us coming up in just a little while during our social media conversation and something i'm gonna do you know we've got a We've got a core group of uh, social media folks uh, that we have uh, on the program in uh, pretty normal rotation. Uh, we're going to kind of do the same type of program here for the next month or so with the idea being that we're going to get all these guys on uh, week after week, our, our main guys, and just look back at the season with them and get all the differing opinions. So uh, we're going to spend a lot of time looking back at the season that was and also at the same time looking at the season that will be next year. You know, when you, uh, when you talk about the team could have done better in this area this past season well obviously that goes into the conversation of well how do they do then do better at that next season so we're going to do a lot of that so Adam Rigg is going to join us and uh, tonight is the third and final part of our extended conversation with uh, Brad Ford from Brew Crew Ball he is uh, one of their uh, top minor league guys over there and uh, we've been going back through the different levels of the minor league uh, system and really looking back at those teams uh, two weeks ago. If you want to go back and listen to any of them before we get to today, you can always go back uh, through uh, our episode a couple weeks ago. We went through the short season teams. Then last year we did the single A teams at uh, both Wisconsin and Carolina. 
And this week we'll hit the AA and AAA teams in Biloxi and Colorado Springs. So Brad will be with us coming up here in just a little while on the program. Yeah, as we do look back on the season that was, I have a hard time understanding the people out there who say it was a disappointing year. Can it be disappointing that they were in playoff position for quite some time and they end up not being a playoff team? Yeah, that's fine. You can be disappointed with with that outcome, hoping that they would be a playoff team. But that's different than it being a disappointing season. And there are people out there. I, I, I hear from them when I'm hosting on uh, 620 WTMJ. And I know you can't spend too much time focused in on a vocal minority. I get that. But I just I have a really hard time understanding the people out there that doesn't that don't think that this was a step forward, that don't think this was a good season for the Brewers. And I'm not trying to be a honk for the Brewers. I'm just calling it like I see it. And this was a really good year for this team. And something else that I think I'm good at. Maybe I'm not. Maybe I'm patting myself on the back for something that I should not be patting myself on the back on. But I feel like, you know, there's all the managers in baseball manage in different kind of ways. And there's more than one team that makes it to the playoffs. Like, there's different routes to find success. Yeah, there's different ways to build a baseball team. Some pitcher, some some teams like to pitch to contact. Some teams like to pitch to strike guys out. You can still be a successful team. So the point I'm trying to get, I'm trying to use a baseball analogy when talking about baseball, which is kind of funny. Uh, the point I'm trying to make is, even if I disagree with a point, I think I think that I'm pretty good at at least acknowledging that yes, I disagree with you. But I see where you're coming from. I, I'm not on the same path as you. I'm not on the same wavelength as you. But I get where you're coming from. I think I'm good at that. So where the reason I say that is because the people out there who say this wasn't a successful season, I don't know how you say that. I just don't. That's one of those things that people believe, and I don't know how you get to that point. Uh, this was a year that you know the Vegas numbers before the season got started, the over-unders and everything, everybody had the Brewers at about the same place win-loss that they were the year before, around 73 wins or so. They end up winning eight, uh, 86, so they're plus 13 from what they were the year before and what they were basically projected to be. That's And the, I think they... They set really the tone on the way they were going to play the game. And that started the year before. That wasn't completely done in 2017 and 2016. We saw them kind of establish the way they were going to play. But I thought they did that to a, to an even stronger extent, if that makes sense, uh, in, in 2017. And that's a really good thing. And we're starting to see uh, more and mo- more what a Craig Council managed baseball team is going to look like. This team fell short of the postseason. And the frustrating thing about them falling short of the postseason is you can go back and you can find win after win after win after win that they did not get. That the, the bullpen let down late or they had you know runners on, on at third and nobody out and they didn't score and those ended up being the difference of the game. I mean, you can do it. And most, most baseball teams can. You know, that's... Uh, that that's just the way things are, but the Brewers were it, the Brewers found ways to lose some games this year, and that was frustrating. But they were a they were a really flawed baseball team, and kind of who they were DNA wise that resulted in them being a team that 
didn't score some runs when they had runners on at less less you know less than third and or less than two outs and, and runners on third. You know they were a high home run, high strikeout kind of team. Well, the fact that they were a high strikeout, high home run kind of team that won them some games as well. So when you really dig deeper into the numbers, some of the things that exist that stopped them from winning games are also in a roundabout way the things that caused them to win games as well. They have things that they need to fix moving forward. I'm not running away from that. They absolutely do. Big time question mark at starting pitching going into next year. You could pencil in Zach Davies and Chase Anderson, and outside of that, you don't have a lot. You know, Jimmy Nelson's going to be out, let's say, till the All-Star break. They keep using the term a good chunk of next year. We don't know what that really means. But to me, it seems like neighborhood of the All-Star break. That's a long time to be without him. Brandon Woodruff, just, you know, it was his first experience in the big leagues. Can you really count on him? Are they going to move Josh Hader out of the bullpen and into the starting rotation? Are any other young guys available? Do they make moves to go acquire starting pitching either through trade or through free agency? Great questions. I got to think that at least one or two of the starting pitchers in the five-man rotation on opening day next year are guys that are not currently in the Brewers organization. If there's going to be moves that are made in the offseason, I would have to think it's going to have, uh, occur with starting pitching. I mean, think at one point, it seemed like the Brewers had too much starting pitching this year and what they had to do late in the season when they were constantly uh, going with bullpen games. It shows you how finite of a resource starting pitching is, and the Brewers need to do a better job. Not Maybe not a better job, but the Brewers need to do a good job. I'll put it that way. The Brewers need to do a good job this offseason of making sure they are good to go uh, in starting pitching. There's, there's questions in the outfield, and the questions in the outfield are because of a good reason, because of the depth. You're coming off a, a year where you saw great production from Domingo Santana. You saw Brett Phillips during the final month of the season show that he can have a profound impact on a baseball team. We know about Ryan Braun in left field, and he had an injury-riddled season this year, and he did not put up the numbers uh, that you expect him to put up, but he's done enough in his career, as far as I'm concerned, that you 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 don't take anything away from him. He goes into next season as the starting left fielder. We haven't even mentioned Lewis Brinson. We haven't even mentioned Keon Broxton. And I have to think the Brewers want to go into next season with Brinson and Phillips probably getting a, the, the vast majority of starts in the outfield. And I don't know what that looks like because Domingo Santana just put up a 30-home run season. Uh, d- d- is this a situation where you think you can sell high on him and maybe you go get a starting pitcher for Santana and you put a lot of trust into Brett Phillips and Lewis Brinson? But those guys are rookies. Those guys are going to have uh, situations and time periods where they don't play well. And again, there's heightened expectations going into next year. So those are questions. And there's questions at second base. Do you bring Jonathan VR Brett back next year? Arbitration eligible, eligible guy. Does he come back and do you give him an opportunity to – do you give him the second-base job again? Do you give him the opportunity to keep, c- c- compete for it? Where does Eric Sogard fill, uh, you know, come into all this? Where does Mauricio Dubon? Do you think about bringing Neil Walker back? That's a pretty hefty price tag. He's a free agent. He made $17 million this past year. He probably wants a multi-year deal. You don't get the sense that he's going to take a uh, pay cut and – two or three years so I mean even if he just stays 
at the seventeen million. You're talking, you know, two years, thirty-four. If he wants a three-year deal, you're talking three years, fifty-one million dollars. Maybe for a three-year deal, he takes a little bit less, but that's still a hefty price tag. And the Brewers have money to spend, but that's still a hefty price tag. And there are some guys who uh, are going to be going into arbitration who are going to be getting some raises this year. Matt Garza's salary will come off the books. That helps. But uh, other salary is going to uh, go into that place. There's a lot of questions uh, going into uh, this season. But nonetheless, it's going to be a fun offseason. I think the Brewers are going to be a team that we hear mentioned a lot uh, during the hot stove period. Whether that means they pull something off, either in a free agent signing or in a big trade, we'll just have to wait and see. But I get the sense that this is going to be an active period for the Brewers during the course of this offseason. All right, a conversation uh, here in just a few minutes with uh, Adam Rigg from the Brewer Nation. We'll hear from Brad Ford later on to do the final part of our three-part series going back through the minor league season. But before we get to that, let's get to this week's Headlines of the Week. It doesn't matter if it's right in the middle of the summer or winter. There's always news about the Brewers. Let's look back at the week that was with Matt's Headlines of the Week. The headlines of the week this week, the entire coaching staff is coming back. No reason for it not to come back. They all did a nice job once again. And uh, This is a coaching staff uh, led by manager Craig Council. Everybody really seems to get along. They know their roles. They work hard. It's uh, I think it's one of, the, one of the benefits that this team has that uh, they're able to keep a coaching staff together. And, and that type of consistency can have an effect on a weight team the way the team a team plays you know we've seen all over the place where teams that underachieved this year were firing coaches that's always the first thing uh, that they do and it's good to see that this entire coaching staff is going to be able to uh, come back I think Derek Johnson is the pitching coach just does a fantastic job really growing into that role as a major league uh, pitching coach and what what he's been able to do with pitchers over the last couple of years I think has been uh, pretty spectacular some minor league players have uh, a elected free agency and uh, all these minor league players are individuals with some big league time Michael Blazek, Kirk Neuenheis, Willie Peralta, David Goforth, Rob Scahill have all elected to uh, test the free agent waters. I would guess that all those guys are not in the Brewers organization next year. The the one guy that maybe there'd be the highest percentage chance of him coming back because he might be in the same kind of role is Rob Scahill. If he does not get uh, really any looks from uh, other organizations if the Brewers can ba- bring him back on a minor league deal where he can be a guy that you know gets placed on the 40-man roster to get brought up and then uh, sent back down and does you know what happened this year up and down up and down and not just up and down but up designated for assignment down up designated for assignment down that sort of thing maybe there's a place for Rob Scahill to return to the organization but outside of that you know Michael Blazik Kirk Neuenheis Willie Peralta David Goforth their their futures at this point are probably with different organizations and all those guys have done some nice things for the Brewers especially Blazik Neuenheis and, and Peralta Goforth is maybe somebody that's a little bit disappointing coming up as a prospect he never really gained the traction at the big league level that you would have liked but you know Michael Blazik had good moments Kirk Neuenheis he said good moments. Think about his year in 2016. He was a very good contributor, especially in home games for the Brewers. Uh, Willie Peralta was somebody who did a very nice job at times for the Brewers, but these guys are going to be moving on. And the team also announces this past week that they have bought their uh, high A affiliate uh, in 
Carolina, the Carolina Mudcats. So they now own that team. If you don't know kind of how the business of baseball works, generally independent owners actually own the actual minor league baseball teams and then the affiliation that they have with the major league team is based off a player development contract and those contracts are signed on uh, on deals of two-year increments so you can sign a two-year deal four-year deal six-year deal so on and so forth but we're seeing more and more where major league teams if they can make it work they want to own their minor league franchises that were they're able to control all aspects of the baseball operation if they do that so they have bought the Carolina Mudcats. The Mudcats are now property of the Milwaukee Brewers. And we'll see some changes with the Brewers in the minor league system, specifically at AAA after next year uh, when Colorado Springs ends up moving to San Antonio. A bunch of dominoes are going to end up falling, and uh, the the Brewers are going to end up with a new AAA home. A lot of people had made the assumption that it was going to be in Fresno. I'm hearing some rumors. I'm hearing rumors, and I'm hearing, I'll be honest with you, the people I'm hearing from the, the rumors from, I, I trust a lot. I am hearing that the relationship between Oakland and Nashville might go kaput, and there's a chance that the Oakland A's maybe end up moving into Fresno. And if that happens, things are up in the air. And if nothing else, there, there are some other expected moves that uh, are going to happen. The Astros, who are currently in Fresno, they're going to end up in Round Rock. The Rangers, who are currently with Round Rock, they're going to end up in San Antonio with a team that technically the franchise currently in Colorado Springs. If there's no other moves beyond those, uh, that would that would leave a situation where the Brewers are the last major league team standing and the Nashville Sounds would be the last AAA team standing. And who knows, maybe there's a scenario where those two reunite. We're still a year or so out, a little bit less than a year from that playing out. But if the sources I have are correct, that the relationship in all likelihood is going to end between Nashville and Oakland, and Oakland is going to end up uh, in Fresno, if that all ends up playing out, We'll see where the Brewers end up, but possibly reunited in Nashville, which if you're familiar with the background story there, and the new ballpark and the Brewers being a big part of it, and then the Brewers basically getting kicked out uh, for, for Oakland, uh, there's still some hurt feelings there, and that would be interesting to see how that would all play out. Those are this week's Headlines of the Week. After every Brewers game, signing an announcement, bloggers and podcasters hit the web to give their take. Now we bring them all together. It's the Social Media Roundtable, and it starts now. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile, does continue on. It is our, uh, I'm calling it our first episode since the season ended, because last week when we did it, the season had ended that day. We're recording this as always on Sunday night, so it felt like it was still in season. But we're a week out now since uh, the Brewers season came to an end. And uh, what we're going to do over the next few weeks is we're going to take um, a lot of our core social media conversation guests and just look back at the season, look a little bit forward to next season and get their uh, overall take just in a very broad uh, world. So uh, for the first uh, one of those, we welcome in the guy who was the first guest we ever had on the program, one of our favorite guests. We affectionately refer to him as the executive producer of the program. He is uh, Adam Rigg, known as the Brewer Nation, also uh, over at FanRag Sports does some writing. Uh, Adam, always good to talk to you. How are you doing today? Man, it's a pretty good day. Uh, we've had playoff baseball that's 
had some drama, so I've been entertained since the season ended, which is nice. But and some some series that are going to at least game four. Uh, more baseball is always better than no baseball, so uh, it has been pretty good. Let's, it's been pretty good. I'm guessing you're somewhat like me, where you spend that first you know few days after the season got over kind of reflecting back on the year I've, I've done that a lot uh over the last week and there's some what could have been moments there were some wow those were pretty cool moments uh from uh, over the last six seven days since the season has come to an end is there anything that's maybe hit you about the way this season uh went that maybe you weren't thinking about that much as the season was in progress the, the the main thing I thought about in the in the last couple of days is, and it was kind of spurred on the, the Twitter account. I made a Sporkle quiz um, for those who don't know Sporkle dot com. It's a it's a sports quiz site that a lot of people mix up on, and it helped me to think back about all the players that put on a Brewers uniform this year. And it's a twenty five man roster, um, but I don't count Tyler Cravey because he didn't actually get into a game. He was up for about twelve hours, or not even that long. But 50 guys, 5-0, uh, played for the Brewers this season at least one game. Uh, and for guys like Taylor Young, when it was only one game. Um, but it, it helped me to, to realize the story of the season. There's it, it kind of grew and evolved throughout the course of the year, and I guess it does that every year. But you had a team that, you know, Tommy Malone makes the roster out of spring training, and Chase Anderson only makes the rotation because... Matt Garza got hurt. And you have a guy like Nick Franklin come in early. Jared Hughes gets signed the day before the season starts, practically. Uh, all of these, the, the bullpens, early iterations where John Mourinho's got cut and, and David Goldforth was up a couple times, and Rob Scale was DFA twice during the season. All of it, Neftali Feliz, I mean, he made eight saves, uh, had a save in his first game when Taylor Youngman couldn't hold things in his only game, game three of the season. Uh, and that's how we've got a 100th career save. And, but, okay, well, this is our new closer, so here we go. And just how that fell apart so quickly and so drastically. And, and all of these things kind of added up to the balance of the season. And, and for me, it was just looking back, and, and I do, like you said, every season I take a couple of days and, and just think about how we got to that point because, you know, post-All-Star break, even the month of June, it's all still pretty fresh in your mind, but some of those games in April that you'd be like, oh, well, they can get this one back tomorrow. That maybe had they gotten it, it would have made a big difference on the line. And, you know, all those games that the bullpen blew with Feliz still at the closers' controls and how it could have affected the outcome down the stretch differently and just how much the bullpen was used and just all these little things kind of added up to what the story for 162 was and how they were so close to the game 163 and the fact that they only played one meaningless game on the entire season. It was just it was an amazing season from start to finish. One that exceeded expectations like crazy, and one that I was very happy to be a part of covering. I thought um, there's a lot of you can do the what if game because there's so many winnable games this year that they oh, ended yeah. up losing. But there's also some games that maybe they didn't have uh, business winning that they ended up winning. And uh, I, one of my things is, and I mentioned this when I when I opened up the podcast tonight, you look at the what. Some of the times when the Brewers lost games, maybe they lost in a situation where they had runners on at third and less than two outs, and they end up striking out. But they were a team that was a high home run, high strikeout team. So if we're going to be critical about them in those type of situations, well, you also have to look at the fact that 
that DNA resulted in a lot of wins as well. I mean, they were a very flawed team, and they did things kind of in a unique way to, to win games, and you would have loved to have seen them make the playoffs this year, but the fact that they won in the way that they won, to me, it made it almost more fun. Well, I, I, I think I want to correct you on one word that you said flawed a team, and I would use the word deficient in certain areas. Because, like you said, their recipe won a whole lot of ball games this year. 86 wins, 13 more wins than last season in the win column. And, yes, they were very deficient at being able to put the ball in play in certain situations that called for it. They were, and they are, based on the, the content of their, of their people, uh, the content of the roster, uh, very much a swing in this team. But when they made contact, the ball usually stayed hit pretty well with this group. And it was a lot of fun, and as you said, you wrecked up a lot of wins. So I would just say that I agree with you. It's uh, funny, a buddy of mine and I, uh, his name's Mike, we were talking about it during uh, the show we were watching this evening before we record here, and he said, he asked me about you know the, the state of the game, and he used Aaron Judge as the example about how he strikes out 208 times, but hits 52 home runs. Uh, you know, and I told him, well, that's maybe a bad example for your point because he still hit 280 and his on base was over 400 because he walked 125 times. Um, but his point was about the state of the game moving to the streets for outcomes type of format that the Brewers have maybe had a, a few years here. That was a, a testament to the Doug Melvin teams, too, where we want home run hitters, and if they strike out, then so be it. So, yeah, I would say that the Brewers definitely have deficiencies in certain areas. You would love to be. You know, love to see more guys do the Joey Votto and Anthony Rizzo approach of choke up with two strikes, just make contact, put the ball in play somewhere. Um, but at the same point, it, it's a, it was a fun brand of baseball and a winning brand of baseball, at least for 2017. What guy this year that maybe you didn't have high expectations for when the season got started uh, opened up your eyes and now you view him as somebody who uh, could very much be uh, a member of the core of this team going forward? Um, it's, well, the, the first thing that jumps to mind is Manny Pena, and I know he's old, at least older than, than most guys who are rookies, uh, being that he's already, uh, you know, at the stage of his career where he is and has so many years and almost gave up on baseball, and uh, I know he's in his young 30s, I forget if he's 31, 32, whatever he is, but I, I didn't think that Pena was going to offer much in the way of offense. Uh, his reputation that I had heard coming from Colorado Springs and his time with the Tigers was that he couldn't block a ball to save his life. Um, and he got better at that. He got a lot better at that, and I think that's a testament to his work ethic. And he was uh, pretty darn good at it, I thought, by the end of the season. Early on, I think, his, you know, especially at the end of last year, the reputation seemed to fit where he didn't exactly uh, have that part of his game down. But his clutch moments, his big arms throwing people out, he held base runners down like crazy. I think Manny Pena can be a, a solid starting catching option for this team until hopefully – a guy like Jacob Nottingham, uh, this catcher they got in the Chris Davis trade, hopefully a guy like that is ready to catch at the big league level. Uh, so I think that's that's the first thing that jumps to mind if I can go with somebody that's that, that's that old. No, that's that, that's that, that's probably who I would go with as well. And I think it was actually kind of going back to his defensive reputation coming in the season – 
you know, you can look. It's, it's almost funny again, going back to the April May thing. When you when you looked at the All Star ballot, the catcher representative from the Brewers on the All Star ballot was not Manny Pena. It was Jet Bandy. Bandy was the opening day starter. And, you know, I mean, it, it was more than fifty fifty in favor of Bandy, but it was somewhat close to that. I actually think it benefited Pena that he kind of had to first he had to fight to make the team, and then he kind of had to grow into that starter's role as the season went on through the first couple months. Yeah, I couldn't agree with you more. When Susak went down with the injury in spring training, <clears throat> excuse me, uh, and it seemed like you know that was kind of okay. Opinion, you've got one of the one of the slots, but he really did. He had to fight for it. He had to, and he had to fight his whole career. Obviously, uh, for people that know his backstory a little bit, how many times he's you know how little he spent it in the majors before he got to the Brewers, and what he's been able to do to keep himself in baseball and to keep himself uh, to the point to get back to the big leagues. But you're right. When Jeff Annie gets the not opening day, and it was it was a true you know nobody's the, the, the true starter uh, through those first couple of months of the year, and then all of a sudden you have Pena forced into playing the bulk of the time, and Stephen Volk comes in and and does great things early on, uh, re- rehabbing his situation, his offensive situation from Oakland, still confirming anybody out to save his life. But um, Pena really blossoms with. They added time, they added pressure, they added responsibility. And he called a good game. Um, you can see even on the, the games where votes started, and, and to votes credit, he calls an amazing game. Pitchers love to throw to him. was all the talk out of the clubhouse uh, throughout the balance of the year. But you still got Pena in there in the eighth and ninth innings as a defensive replacement, even on games he didn't start because of that throwing arm before he you know, got the thumb injury. So I think, yeah, he's really done well for himself. And I'm excited to see if he can improve or at least maintain that type of year in 2018. Starting pitching was so interesting throughout the year because it starts with what you made reference to a moment ago, a Matt Garza injury that results in uh, Chase Anderson even making the team and uh, over the course of the year, guys like Brent Suter get put in, Brandon Woodruff uh, gets put in. Uh, you're you're going at the end of the year. You're going with these bullpen days. You had your opening day starter get injured and then end up not really being much of a factor. Uh, this was the, teams that have those kind of challenges with their starting pitching tend not to win very many games, and the Brewers go win 86 with a with a starting pitching staff that was in flux most of the year and certainly in flux for the final three months of the year. Yeah, that's, it's almost amazing what Derek Johnson was able to do with this group. You look at it, the things you mentioned specifically, but like when the season started, the Brewers seemed like they had a decent amount of starting pitching depth. And then Garrett goes down on opening day, and Garza goes down before opening day, and Youngman's in the bullpen, and Josh Hader eventually moves to the bullpen when he comes up to the big leagues. And by the end of the season, you're relying on, like I said, the bullpen days and, and Brandon Woodruff and Brent Suter thrown into a role that, yeah, he was starting at AAA, but as we know, it's a whole different ballgame in the big leagues. So the fact that they were able to stay in it and when it seemed like, oh, okay, well, there they go. This is where they, they fall apart and the, and the Cubs completely pull away and, and – the nice run brewers, this team responded and they got up off the decks and they kept winning games. And it was a, the, the resiliency theme has been one that has permeated every conversation, every report, every everything that's been written about the team. You have to look at the fact that this team 
has been nothing if not resilient throughout the entire course of the season and testament to Craig Council and the coaches and, and everything that the, the culture has put together. But the bottom line is that they overcame stuff that just didn't make any sense for them to be overcoming. And yes, had they made the wild card game, and even if they had won the wild card game after a game 163 and all that stuff, chances are they're not going to do it on the playoffs. They didn't have Jimmy Nelson. They were really hurting in starting pitching, et cetera, et cetera. But the fact that they were even in that position in game 161 is, like I said, it's nothing short of amazing. One of the other big headlines is Corey Knable emerging as the closer. But the way it happens, they go get Neftali Feliz. And David Stearns, his hit rate on moves like those is very good. That's one of his first probably major misses on uh, on an acquisition. But they miss on Neftali Feliz. He just was not effective after the first uh, few weeks of the season, maybe month of the season. His uh, velocity really started to go down as they used him. He had a, a rough day in Chicago in the early going. And then all of a sudden, Corey Knable comes in to kind of be the interim closer. And before you know it, he's the full-time closer. He's got a video montage going in for the ninth inning. And Neftali Feliz isn't even on the team anymore. Uh, that That's a pretty incredible turn in the first month of the season to go from a Corey Knable who's going to be a seventh or eighth inning guy to all of a sudden becoming an all-star closer. Well, I think the, the, the overall plan has always been, I thought, uh, for Corey Canale to eventually become the team's closer. And I had a lot of people asking me on Twitter all season long, well, at least all April long, um, why didn't they just go with Canable from the jump? And my answer was always the fact that you need a guy like Canable who's growing into the closer's role to continue to have that kind of buffer, that, that kind of safety net. And the thought is, you know, the trademark, uh, quote-unquote, proven closer that was brought in to fill that role until a such time when he was either ineffective or Canable really just kind of emerged and was able to fill that job. And um, I, I think we saw that Canable did have some early hiccups, and he did kind of work himself into that job, and he was so brilliant with the strikeout streak. That's another thing. That, how many did we talk about that after it ended? That was a brilliant run of pitching by Corey Canable. Uh, being the team's lone all-star, he just had an amazing season, and that's a, another person that's exciting to see. Really, uh, they'll have him for multi game next year. From March 29th forward, uh, knock on wood, that he'll be the closer and hopefully lock him down games all season long, uh, break through that 40 state threshold, and, and hopefully put the team into a playoff position. But um, it is. It's, as far as David Stearns goes, it's funny. I think back on that particular signing, and, of course, at the time, it's this is the guy that we wanted. This is the guy that we were hoping would agree to sign here, and this is the guy that we want to close our games. And there was scuttlebutts before the Neftali Felice signing that they missed out on signing uh, at least one, if not two other, free agent closer types. Uh, well, I want to say one was Greg Holland, and uh, off the top of my head here as, I, as we talk, I'm having trouble coming up with the second name, but there was definitely at least Greg Holland that, that the Brewers were in on and who chose to go someplace else. And maybe Holland didn't think the Brewers would have enough games to close. Maybe he didn't see them as an 86-win team uh, or more, depending on how he would have performed. He performed very well for the Rockets, of course, uh, until uh, his hiccup. But end of the day, yes, Stearns missed. Um, I don't think, like I said, I don't think that's the first guy that Stearns wanted. He could never say that, of course, and probably would never admit it, even if that is the case. But it was, what was it, $5.5 million? Uh, a $5.5 million gamble that didn't pay off. Luckily, as they say, 
there are no bad one-year contracts for pitchers. Right. So cut them, move on, <laughs> eat the cost, and uh, hopefully this next year you've got Knable there with Swarzak has expressed an interest to come back. Uh, Jacob Barnes has another season of experience. Hopefully he's a little bit more stable, a little more consistent in a seventh-inning type role. And hopefully this bullpen, well, we, we can admit this, right, not to go off to our, to our topic here, but the bullpen was not built, I think, to be a playoff contender. No. They had a, a lot of question marks, a lot of guys that maybe wouldn't have been in the bullpen if that was the goal. Like, you, maybe you don't have Jan Marinas from the start, or maybe maybe you don't even go sign Gary Hughes. He obviously worked out very well, but maybe a guy like Hughes isn't a guy you go get if you're putting together what you think is going to be a playoff bullpen. And I, I don't know. Uh, what they have going into next year, maybe supplement it with Swarzak for a whole season, maybe pick up another bullpen arm and, and free agency this off season. Um, they could be a lot more dominant in the back there. Uh, maybe the tune of what we used to see in 2011, which really helped that team get as far as they did. Well, and they were also coming off trades of Tyler Thornburg in the offseason and then obviously both Jeremy Jeffers and Will Smith at the trade deadline of the year before. It's tough, and I know Jeffers comes back, but no matter what happened for opening day, it was going to be tough to replace all of that based off how those guys had pitched for the Brewers. Yeah, 100%. I mean, you had three closer types. Uh, if Will Smith doesn't get hurt, Jeffers and Smith probably both rack up, you know, 10 to 10 to 12, maybe even 15 saves before the last year's trading deadline. Um, and then Thornburg fulfilled the job until the offseason, and those guys were fantastic for the Brewers. And, yeah, Thornburg didn't pitch this year, and but who, who could have foreseen that? But, yeah, that's a lot of bullpen talent, a lot of shut-down, very effective bullpen talent that ended up, you know, like you said, you had to replace them, and they did what they could, where they could, uh, but it, it was a, it's a tough job. You can't. As much as bullpen arms are fungible, and there's always a lot of turnover in a bullpen, it's still a lot to replace. All right, let's jump over to uh, the hitting side of thing, and they bring in new two corner infielders who both produce at a very high level, kind of in different ways. Uh, Eric Thames had the great first month of the season. Uh, his numbers kind of petered off after that, but he still got on base a ton. He still hit the occasional home run. Uh, Travis Shaw was very consistent throughout the year, playing at an all-star level, both offensively and defensively. Uh, those were two moves that work. Let's start with Travis Shaw. I don't think anybody expected, even the people who thought you know Travis Shaw could come in and do a nice job at third for the Brewers, I don't think anybody saw the kind of production he ended up putting up. Yeah, it was really a matter of whether you bought into Travis Shaw from the first half last year or Travis Shaw after his playing time started to dwindle and after he you know, basically got replaced at third base in Boston. And Stearns obviously banked on the first half, you know, banked on the fact that this is the type of guy who could produce that kind of a season if we just leave him alone and let him play the ball. And he did that for the most part. He had a small... I think it was about 10 days in May where he had a little bit of a rough patch. And then I started to hear some whispers on social media, oh, here we go, here comes Travis Shaw. And then he had a stretch, um, was it late August, early September, somewhere in there. I mean, was, yeah, I remember at the end of August, he burned all of his equipment because he wanted to start September completely fresh because <laughs> he didn't like the way that the end of August went. He uh, burned batting gloves and uh, maybe not his mitt, but definitely his batting gloves and, and some of that stuff that he was wearing. Um, at least that's what he said he did. But anyway, that's he was so consistent though throughout the course of the season. Just always answered the bell, was always in there. Um, for as much as Staines played against left-handed pitching to start the season, 
Shaw was the guy who still stayed in there, even when they had the standard rosters in September. He was the guy that was in there against Western starting pitching from the left side of the plate and just doing his job. And that guy was, I, I didn't pick him for, uh, when he asked me about, and I picked Pena for the question about who was the biggest surprise. Um, I guess if Shaw was capable of something like this, maybe not 30 home runs, maybe not 100 RBIs to give him that putting up, but the fact that he was, you know, mostly a consistent hitter, you know, 280 is batting average all season long, uh, not very many peaks and valleys. The type of guy you want, a steady contributor, cleanup hitter, middle of your lineup type guy. And then you add on the mental stuff that he was doing with off the field, and I don't know if you want to get too deep into it, but just what everything that was going on with his daughter, he is, the, and I know the field is your refuge uh, sometimes, and he was able to maybe you know, take his mind off some of the hurts, but just what was going on there, and, and I would, don't know how I would have focused in his situation. But he's a pro athlete, and I'm talking about it. <laughs> Let's uh, and you're right, and he's you know as far as I know, his daughter is still in the hospital at Children's Hospital in Milwaukee, and uh, going through some just some tough stuff. And and people can continue to keep him and and her and, and their entire family in their prayers. Uh, we, no real easy way to transition on, but we will. Uh, Domingo Santana has a 30 home run season, and he, a guy who did not stay healthy in 2016, and Quite honestly, I don't know about you, but I kind of heard some rumblings from some folks that there was some question about, you know, how injured he really was in 2016 and his ability to, you know, be in the lineup every single day. He really answers those questions with the season that he puts up. He did, and, and I didn't hear too many of those questions last year personally. Um, and I know that <clears throat> down the stretch, Domingo was almost confused because he could do parts of the game. He could swing the bat. He could not throw, and he, he just didn't understand because it didn't hurt when he was swinging. He could not be in the, on the field because he couldn't play defense. He, he couldn't throw the ball effectively, and that was, at least that was one of his injuries, and that cost him a, a whole bunch of time. Um, but, yeah, this year he played, I, I don't have another story as far as how many games he played, but he was the everyday right fielder, you know, has an amazing offensive season. He even had a sore trap uh, towards the end of the season, and I know I thought anyway, uh, is in a few days, you know, this is probably maybe three, four, five days, maybe a week if it's bad. And he missed, I think, one game and was right back in there and producing. So I, you're absolutely right. He, I think he answered any critic about his physical uh, fragileness, for lack of a better way to put it. Um, but he was on the field. He was productive. And he it was everything the Brewers hoped they were going to get and more, I think when they made that trade uh, with Texas, or excuse me, Houston, um, to, to bring him to town a couple of seasons ago now. But he, he was he was great. And I said in February, you know, with Brinson and Phillips, who I, I believe they're in at, at the beginning of the season, uh, and all this talent, and the fact that I don't think Ryan Brown's going anywhere, I thought that Domingo Santana could be a guy who got traded if they needed to bring in pitching. And they definitely need to bring in some starting pitching next year I would. It would not shock me if they sell super high, but you know, at the same time, Santana's still so young, and, and maybe you're just scratching the surface. Maybe he's got this consistent type of season, this 30 home run type of season. Maybe he can put up two, three, four more of these. Maybe they'd be a little gun shy because of what Chris Davis has done out in Oakland. Yes, he's striking that 200 times, but he's also posting 40 home runs a year. So, all of this put together. There's nothing else to say about Santana's season other than that it was great, and he has 
proven himself to be a big league asset for sure, no matter what they do with him. No, absolutely. And the outfield's going to be interesting. You know, Ryan Braun had a had a disappointing year this year. There was injuries, and then even after he came back, we kind of learned at the end of the season that he was still banged up. He had a wrist deal that came up late. He had the calf injury during the season. He wasn't able to drive the ball. I'll be honest, I was disappointed with his play in the final month of the season, and uh, I get accused of being a guy that will defend Ryan Braun at anything, and I, I wanted to see him do a little bit more. He wasn't a big contributor when that team was trying to make a run for the postseason, but we also know what Ryan Braun can do uh, when he's healthy. So I look back, I kind of give Braun an incomplete because he never really had that opportunity to really get off to that good season and have a prolonged amount of time where he was healthy. Yeah, it's 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 a little bit. I, I there's a word for it. I'm struggling to find it. There's the economy of a season. Um, in that he was hitting the ball so hard. His exit velocity, and yes, I know, uh, certain people hate the, the new stats and the stat cast stats like exit velocity and, and that kind of stuff, but spin rate and, and all these things that tell us a lot of information. But he was hitting the ball as hard, it's not harder than he's hit it in his entire career. But his batting average on balls in play, um, his batting average overall, it just it was, it was bad. He was hitting the ball at people a lot. So there's a lot of, of misfortune. Uh, I don't like to use the word luck, if I can help it, even though there is a lot of that in baseball. Um, but he was his process was pretty good when he was healthy. Um, like you said, he wasn't healthy all that often. But when he was healthy, he seemed like his process was, was very good, very sound. I just wasn't getting the results. But he'll tell you he was disappointed with the way he played. And I, I believe his quotes to uh, Adam McCalvey, Brewers.com in the article from St. Louis after the season ended was that he basically said, look, I have always said that when I'm healthy, I'll be productive, and he wasn't healthy. Um, so if he's able to get himself to into a position and cast strings can linger, we know, and I'm not going down this rabbit hole, but we know what can happen with a cast strain with Ryan Braun because that's the injury that he had at the All-Star break in 2011. Um, so we know that that can be a, a big issue for him. We know how much his legs are important in his hitting. Um, well, maybe we don't know, but I know. <laughs> I know you know. Um, but that's a guy who needs to be healthy to be productive. And like you said, last year, um, when they played the game and they limited his, his starts and um, he didn't play as many games as he wanted to, but he was super productive in the games that he did play, 30 home run season. And, you know, uh, the, the stolen bases that he was able to throw, I think it was 15 last season, uh, meaning 2016, um, he was able to, to do things to help the team, and that's what they need. If they need to figure out a different way, I don't know, they're paid millions of dollars, and they have strength coaches and conditioning people and, and training people to help them put together a plan to keep him healthy as his body gets older. But without that calf injury, I think it's a different season for Ryan Braun. I think he can get around the wrist. I think he can get around the lower back um, and things that he had ice on throughout the season. Um, but if he keeps his legs healthy, I think it's a different season for Braun. And but you, like you said, it was a disappointment. Um, unfortunately, he wasn't able to do more situations. Uh, the stats are out there for his batting average with runner in scoring position and his batting average with runner at third base and less than two outs and all this other stuff that they, you know, you can compartmentalize and 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 drill down, but. Overall, the, the macro-level view is it was a bad season for Ryan Braun offensively, 
you just have to hope that he's better for next year. Probably the most disappointing guy this year was Jonathan VR. He's given the second base job to get the season started. They even move on from a Scooter Jeanette, and he just doesn't have the season that he had in 2016. Eventually, they go and acquire Neil Walker. I mean, VR showed flashes, but he never showed any extended ability to to really stay in there. And you know, we don't have to sit there and break down his his season because it wasn't very good, but. It creates an issue for the team going forward because they do have his rights, but uh, there's arbitration decisions to be made. Uh, there seems to be some interest in bringing Neil Walker back, but he's going to be an expensive uh, guy to bring back. He got paid $17 million this past year, and he would, I assume, he's talked so much about wanting to experience free agency for the first time. Guys looking for one-year deals don't talk like that, so he probably wants a multi-year deal, and you would think that his average value is going to stay about the same. So between Jonathan VR and just the whole second-base situation, this is a big question for the Brewers. Yeah, and Sam said in the season-ending press conference that second-base is one of the spots they need to take a long look at to figure out what they want to do, how they want to approach it, whether they go get somebody uh, in free agency or maybe even a trade. We talked about Ian Kinsler before the trading deadline, and there's <clears throat> Kinsler has since come out talking about how he admits lost focus and that maybe moving on from the Tigers will be best for everybody. So there's there's possibility there maybe, but like you said, with specifically with Walker, this is a guy who probably wants a four year deal. I would think, given his age and ability, and you know maybe cashing in one last time. I would personally expect the average annual value to maybe go down to around a $14 million-ish range, depending on how it's broken out and, and whatnot. But the fact that he can't be given a qualifying offer, so there's nothing for him to reject. Um, there's no big number like he had last year at the Mets coming off an injury. Um, he's going to go out there, and a second base is, if you can get an offensive second baseman who can handle himself defensively and, and as Walker so play multiple positions, that's a valuable commodity. So somebody's going to want you know, if they have a deficiency at second base, like the Angels struggle at second base most of these seasons, if I remember correctly, and that's a hard position to fill with an offensive uh, offensive player um, that can also, you know, have a wall on the game. But, yeah, it's VR was so disappointing. You know, he said that he got off to a slow start because of the World Baseball Classic and never really got into a rhythm. I'm sure some of that's true. But by, you know, game 100, <laughs> you would think that you would be back into a groove a little bit, especially when you had as much playing time as he did. But he's still relatively cheap. He's under team control. He's young. He's got a bag full of talents. And I don't think the Brewers are going to want to give up on that. Maybe they would trade him and get something back. Um, but I think otherwise, if they don't have another option that they like, I think Pierre's going to be the type of guy who they will give another opportunity to in spring. And hopefully with a regular spring training or something, maybe they let him go play a little bit of winter ball this year. Um, that's the type of guy that they probably would give the job to they didn't find something outside the organization that's like, because they do have a couple of guys. Mauricio Dubon, for example, uh, Keston here, who's much farther away, but they love that bat as well, and that's just, and he's a second baseman. They have a couple of guys that I don't think they're going to want to give Neil Walker that four-year deal, uh, which is why I started talking about, about him, because those guys are less than that time away, and I think that it's, it's a sticky situation, um, at least from the outside looking in, Maybe Stearns is very decisive. Maybe he already knows what he wants to do. But I think that it's a spot where they can. there's definitely some decisions to be made, and I just don't see Walker fitting into those plans. 
Adam, we'll have hopefully many conversations during the course of the offseason here on the program and focusing more on next year. But let me finish you off with this. Starting pitching, relief pitching, second base, other. What's the area, if there's one area that you want to see the Brewers really make moves to improve upon for next year, what area are you looking at? If I have to pick one, I'm going to go with starting pitching. Um, if only because they haven't talked about it much. No, the the, the reality of the situation, Chase Anderson kind of came out of nowhere, let's be honest. He had a good second half of last season, um, but there were real questions about whether he'd be in the rotation, uh, exiting spring training like we've already talked about. That Davies showed that he can work through issues, adjust, and, and be there. So I've got high confidence in those two guys. Woodruff has shown flashes, and I think only eight starts in the league is too small to make any you know, future projections off of, in my opinion. But maybe that's your third guy. Maybe you move Hager back into the rotation. Maybe that's your fourth guy. But Jimmy Nelson is hurt. And the word that Stearns used is that he's going to miss a meaningful portion of the 2018 season. How much that is remains to be seen, or at least remains to be revealed. So I think that even with a healthy Nelson, if you can go out and acquire a front end of the rotation type starting pitcher, then that is a move that the Brewers should make, even in that situation. That they won't have Nelson for a while, if, you know, however long it's going to be. Um, that's a spot they need to focus on. And if they go out and they get even a number one, if, if, if possible, I don't think, I personally don't think that the Brewers are going to have as much trouble as they have had over the years at drawing free agents here. I think a lot of people are going to see. A, there's a, the Brewers have a ton of money to spend. So let's not put anybody kid themselves with Ryan Braun's contract is a problem. No, it's not. <laughs> like he, uh, he could be a, a, a fifth of the payroll by himself, but he's not that much money in, in the grand scheme of things because they have so much room to put on other people because of how cheap and young these guys are based on the rules and the contract rules and the way things are structured in baseball. They have so much room to maneuver and do stuff with. So they could go out. They could absolutely pay uh, you, Darvish, or Jake Arrieta, or, or any of these front line type starters. They could pay them enough money annually to come to Milwaukee. So it, it's. I don't think it's a, it's a problem personally. You don't want to pay a six or seven year deal, probably, but that's neither here nor there. The point is, they have a, a specific need. You saw what they dealt with at the end of this season. Willie Peralta is not an option. He's out of the organization. He declared minor league free agency. Um, you've got Woodruff, who, again, could fill in. Maybe he'll do great, maybe he won't. But you don't want Brent Suter, and I love Brent Suter, don't get me wrong, but you don't want him, I don't, I don't think, making 30 starts next year. Um, and maybe you want Josh Hader to stay in your bullpen as your release ace. Um, so that's a, it's a big spot that the Brewers can add. There's going to be the ability to add, whether that's sacrificing some of your debts for a trade, or that's being able to get a free agent to come here. John Lester went to the Cubs a year early, um, a, year, a year before anybody expected him to contend, and then he got them in a World Series. So that's the type of move that, if the move is right, if the guy that you want, if the guy that you think is going to help you get to that level is there, and he won't be there next year probably, um, then you probably make that move even if it's a year too early. So, but again, given the Nelson situation, uh, given the fact that Gars is out of the organization, Peralta is out of the organization, uh, Youngman doesn't seem to be a starter in their plans. Um, Nelson's hurt. You, you got all these, all this 
Gene Guerra is a, is a wild card. Maybe he can come back to the circle. Who knows? All I put together, that's where I'm going if I have to hold position for David Strings to focus on. All right, fair enough. Great stuff. Again, I'm sure we'll talk uh, many times throughout the course of the off season. But I appreciate you taking some time uh, on the program today. Enjoy the off season. We will talk again very soon. I will do my best. Uh, thankfully, I've got baseball for another couple of weeks, and I don't know what I'm going to do with myself when November starts. The future of the Brewers organization has never been more important than it is right now. It's time to get an inside look at what's taking place throughout the Brewers minor league affiliates as we go down on the farm. Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast is powered by WTMJ Mobile. We have hit that point. Time to go down on the farm, and it's also time for our final of our three-part series where we are looking back at uh, the year that was across the Brewers' uh, minor league system. Just something for you if this is something that you're very interested in, but maybe you didn't catch our last two podcasts. Two podcasts ago, uh, we talked about the short season teams, and then in our last podcast, we talked about the uh, the single A teams in uh, low A Wisconsin and high A Carolina. And uh, here in our final uh, part of the three-part series, we do uh, welcome back onto the program. You can read him over at uh, Brew Crew Ball. His name is uh, Brad Ford. Follow him on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Brad, it's great to have you uh, back once again for part three of this. Uh, we'll talk some double A AA and triple A today. Thanks again for uh, coming back onto the program. Absolutely, anytime. Let's uh, let's jump right in, and we'll go to the Biloxi Shuckers, who were in playoff contention into the final week of the season, but they come up just short. That doesn't take anything away from what turned into a, a pretty darn good season for this team. And uh, To me, I, I may be more interested in a number of the pitchers for this team than, uh, than the hitters, and we'll get to both. But let's start on the pitching side, which is a little bit different from what we've done with all the other teams we talked about. And I want to start with Corbin Burns, who pitches to a 2.10 ERA uh, after getting to Biloxi. Uh, of, this is... This is a guy to be really excited about. I mean, this is somebody that when the Brewers were um, looking for that fifth starter, there were people out there that were actually mentioning Burns and Freddie Peralta, who we'll talk about in a moment, but mentioning these guys as maybe somebody who warranted a call-up to fill that uh, that fifth spot in the rotation. Uh, great season for Burns, 16 games at Double uh, A at 2.10 ERA. Yeah, and he had a great season overall. Ended up with a 1.67 ERA. And if you look at any of the advanced statistics, DRA, FIP, they all support his performance. Uh, he's really exciting. Um, a lot of people, my disclaimer on him is they expect an upcoming ace. They expect this guy to come up and put up these numbers at the show. Very unlikely. But I think he can be very good. I always tell people, also <laughs> think of good Matt Garza. Not Brewer's Matt Garza, good Matt Garza. Because I think that's a pretty realistic ceiling for Corbin Burns, and I think that's something a lot of fans would be happy with. If you're talking about a 3-5, low 3 ERA type of pitcher who can put up a lot of innings, um, that's the type of guy I think Corbin Burns is going to be. And I don't blame anyone for wanting him, even in the bullpen, because he looks big league ready. Uh, when we talk about his call-up midway through the year, you asked me how I thought his performance was going to be. And I said I didn't think there'd be a drop-off that big of a drop-off. And I was right. He went from having a wall 5 ERA to a 210 ERA, uh, which you double your ERA, but if you're going to double it, those are the numbers to have. Um, 
he's an advanced pitcher. That's why I thought he won his performance one drop. He's very, 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 very advanced. Um, he just knows how to mix his pitches. He knows how to work the plate. He knows how to get bad contact. He doesn't rely on the strikeout, but he gets almost one per inning, which is a pretty good rate. Uh, he doesn't walk a lot either because he works the mound well. And my favorite thing about him is anytime the one of the few times he faced adversity, he was able to work through it pretty well. So um, Brewer fans should absolutely be excited about him. Again, don't think he's the Brewers. Clayton Kershaw, don't think he's that because you're going to be disappointed. Uh, maybe I'm wrong, and he does end up having a two ERA once he gets to the league and, or the show and turns out is the pitcher everyone's always wondering for the Brewers. But I think it's much more realistic. You're looking at a mid-three ERA type of pitcher, which is still something to be very, very, very excited about. All right, we're, we're going to go through a bunch of pitchers, so I'm just going to we're just gonna roll through them. Next one, Freddie Peralta, another guy to be excited about. Yes. Uh, actually, I think he has a little bit more ace potential in Colvin Burns. And because what you're looking for when you're trying to figure out who's going to be elite pitching, is strikeouts. And got to see strikeout a lot of people. Uh, just in 63 innings, he struck out 91 of it to the hitters he faced and ended up with 169 Ks in 120 innings over the year, which is a 12.7 K per nine. The great thing about him is as he went through, uh, he did have some walk issues um, in Carolina, but was able to get through it. Uh, if the walk issues continue, that's what limits the, the AC. Like, high strikeout pitchers tend to come up with a lot of walks, and if the walks are too high, then you're looking more at the elite bullpen type. It's great to see that as he advanced the level, he was able to get his walks down, though, which is what you're really looking for in terms of growth. Um, in fact, that he just became a better player at velocity. Uh, he went from having a four or a three hundred four ERA to a two two six, working with you know a rougher or a slightly more difficult environment. Velocity is pitcher's environment, but in my opinion, Carolina is more of a pitcher's environment. So you go from pitcher's park to a little less of the pitcher's park, um, and is able to do even better. Uh, his K for nine even went up a smidge, and his walk for nine went down a smidge, which is exactly what you want to see. So the growth is there, and I, I'm very excited about him. Um, has a lot of bust potential because of the walk. Maybe he ends up only being a bullpen guy, but he'll be an exciting player nonetheless, and that's the reason to be excited, excited about him. The way we're organizing this is we are – talking we're putting guys in not based off who they spent the most time with but who they finished with so maybe if we would have gone with most time we would have been talking about this guy earlier but uh cody ponce finishes off his year at biloxi and puts up good numbers there here's another guy to be really excited about moving forward and this is one where the inner prospect community on twitter uh which if you're following me i'll retweet a lot of guys opinions you know get to know them quick on twitter um, they've always really liked Cody Ponce. He came out with this advanced pitching resume. The guy who kind of like I talked about Corbin Burns had a really advanced mix and almost looked like that back end rotation guy right away. Which anytime you get a college pitcher after the first few rounds in the draft who can fill in in the rotation, it's something to be excited about. Didn't have an amazing year, in Carolina. Um, in 
and has in her, and is actually repeating a level by going to Carolina again. Uh, but he did have overall good performances, just hit a few balls on the road, and then when he got to the Loxy, looked really good, and just his three games started there, uh, was really helpful for them in the playoff run, and <laughs> he's doing quite the rotation when everything was said and done. So, yeah, again, a guy to be excited about. Looks like a back-end rotation guy, so definitely a player that Brewers fans should be familiar with because I like the inner community of Brewer prospect fans. I think he'll one day be a guy we're seeing in Milwaukee. All right, so we've talked about a bunch of guys who have had some success uh, Luis Ortiz this year, maybe you know you look at his prospect ranking and then you see his numbers, 4-7, 4.01 ERA, had a good month of June, but you know struggled down the stretch. August was his, uh, was his worst month. What do you take away from him in his season? Uh, well, you know, August was his worst month, worst month, and he did work through some injuries. I think he had a nagging leg injury that really seemed to hamper his development. It seemed like he'd get on a roll and then have to miss a few games here and there because of that leg injury. Um, so I'm I'm not too worried about the numbers. They're still solid overall. Aside from that blow up like you mentioned in August, he had a pretty good season. I know it's always I always hate it when people say, put the bad numbers aside and look at the good. But I think the way he was working through the injuries helped him with that playoff push is why he ended up having a worse performance towards the end of the year. Um, but really, he had a bunch of really good games. Uh, his season one, he'd have a bunch of really good games, and I have a couple really bad ones. So he'd have six-inning starts where you only give up one or two, and you have a two-inning start where he gave up seven runs, which isn't ideal, but still, the, the good overall outweighs the bad when you look at how many times he had a good start. Um, the problem is, and this is the problem when he came over with Lewis Brinson, is he is injury prone. He tends, he's kind of a bigger guy, definitely would be considered overweight, and tends to get injured in more seasons than that. Um, so that's always been the question with him as an elite prospect is, is he actually going to ever be healthy enough to contribute a substantial amount? And, you know, you'd really like to see next season him come back and have a healthy year and really put those injury concerns behind him. Hope maybe even come back a little thinner. I mean, it's never pitcher weight is something that you don't need to be concerned about as much because they always say pitching is one of the most athletic things a non-athletic person can do. Um, so hopefully he comes back and is healthy, maybe comes back a little slimmer, but still comfortable in his body and is able to have a fully healthy. We, we talk about a bunch of guys kind of on the way up, maybe a guy on the way down or at least not the same stature that he had previously. It, we, I never would have thought we'd be talking about Jorge Lopez this way when he you know made his Major League debut a few years ago, uh, but here he is. He Through the course of the year, he went from being a starter where he uh, had an ERA at 4.61. He moved into a reliever. We had a 3.62 ERA. Uh, closed out a lot of games with seven of nine and save opportunities. But as the overall talent has gone up throughout the Brewers minor league system, are we seeing the beginning of the end of Jorge Lopez as a member of this uh, organization? Um, I wouldn't say that. I would say it's a shift. Um, the good young starters are now outweigh, uh, becoming pretty abundant in the organization, which is something 
I never really remember being a thing in my time as a Milwaukee Brewers fan. I remember there being your few and far between, uh, between the ones who didn't work out, like your uh, Mike Adams or your uh, Giovanni Garros and Ben Sheet. So I, I think the organization is smartly shifting over to a guy who has two dominant pitches and a fastball and a curveball and making him a reliever and trying to make him a high-end reliever. Uh, that is a mentality shift and takes a little while for starting pitchers to go through. So that's why you don't really see elite numbers despite having elite stuff. But I think that he's still going, and the Brewers still see him as part of the future. I don't think his prospect status is up just yet. So next year he'll probably get a full shot as a reliever, and we'll see how he can do in that regard. I mean, it's like I said, it's a change. What's the cliche we always hear about pitchers? They're creatures of hat. So when you take four days in between starts away from somebody and all of a sudden they pitch two games in a row and have three games off, then pitch a day, then have two games off, and pitch three days in a row, it's a change. It's a mentality change, especially if you rely on regularity. That's something that's hard to go through. So let him develop this way, and let's see how he comes back next year because as far as what you look for in relievers, he definitely has the right pitching mix. All right, let's jump over to the hitter standpoint. And as impressive as they were from a pitching standpoint, uh, not as much from an impressive number standpoint uh, hitting-wise. Clint Coulter does hit 14 home runs, but he plays in 116 games this year. Uh, Michael Reed ended up there, not a prospect, but Reed ended up there, didn't do a whole lot. Jake Gatewood, after uh, putting up some good numbers last year, was there. He was a little bit of a disappointment. So, I mean, just overall, who stands out to you from a hitting standpoint uh, with this team? Because that that was definitely uh, not their strong point. Uh, hey, well, see, someone said in the comments, a group for ball. And so, Oxy is where you go as a hitter to be humble. <laughs> it definitely seems to be the truth. The only player I can really think of over the last few seasons who's hit the crap out of the ball there has been Orlando Arcia. Otherwise, Brett Phillips struggled there, um, and he was is an elite hitter in the prospect system, did substantially better in what's probably the complete opposite of Oxy in Colorado Springs, and has been all right so far in the major league. Um, so, it, I mean, you got to take the hitting numbers with a grain of salt. But he, uh, I really like Troy Stokes. Uh, he's been someone who I've been high on throughout the year. He had a great year at Carolina, and then came up midway, and for making the adjustment as a hitter to a hard hitter's park, um, he, he did pretty well. Uh, you know, 252, six homers in 35 games, uh, had a 785 OPS, was able to swipe nine bags. Um, he's an interesting power speed guy who doesn't really get talked about. Um, he's almost exclusively a left fielder, has good range, can get to a lot of things, but his arm isn't that strong, not Chris Davis bad, but not ideal either. Uh, but I really like him out there. And think uh, he has a really good mix. Gatewood is a guy you mentioned. Really only got a brief showing uh, in 23 games and 100 plate appearances. Um, had his, you know, really showed up very well at Carolina. Yeah. Um, especially considering he's a guy who hasn't been productive at all so far in his major league career. 
Um, I think it's just he made a good adjustment and wasn't able to keep it going as strongly later in the year. So you hope he works with those tools that was able to make him successful, comes back next year, able to hit the crap out of the long block. Um, I mean, with the only one player having double-digit home runs, having four home runs in uh, 23 games is pretty impressive. So at least the power was still there, if nothing else. Yeah, and, um, and so with those Ga- two guys are exciting. And with Gatewood, it's almost not fair what the, what I said, and I, I can go back on it because you know here's a guy who did have a really good season uh, at uh, at high A before he got the call up, and he you know we, maybe we look at how he finished and the level he was at, but that doesn't take anything away from what he did earlier in the year. That would go against my argument of talking about guys based off uh, where they finished as opposed to who they played the most games with. Right, right. But I mean, it's still. I mean, it's still got to look at his performance because, like you said, he had a great year. But he still had enough games to get a decent sample um, at velocity, and it wasn't anything too amazing. But like I said, just like he was able to keep the power going, average tip down. But I'd be happy that his power is still there. Um, otherwise, not much to write home about. And I know a lot of fans are disappointed in Jake Nottingham. Uh, he at least showed some power towards the end of the season. I think most, like half his homers came in the last month of the season when he really went on a tear. But overall, I mean, when they traded for him, when they traded Chris Davis for Jake Nottingham, they said the one thing you can rely on is that he'll have a good bat. He might not be able to develop as a catcher, but he'll have a good bat. Here he is hitting 200, or 209, which anyone – that geek like me will tell you that batting average isn't a great number to rely on, but it's still a number that paints a picture, and it's not a number that paints a good picture with Jake Nottingham. Uh, so the best thing to say about him is that he's, I think he's of the league in throw percentage because the dude has a cannon, cliche alert, behind the plate and throws it as hard as anyone I've seen behind home plate is really able to drive it home. So he, I don't know, at least he's progressing defensively because I think he had less pass balls this year too, was working better with the staff, but he did get a lot of inconsistency because they were trying to give more breaks in his catching development. But, but I mean, again, as someone who's advertised as being uh, 100% back that's going to work out, very, very, very disappointing. All right, let's jump ahead to Colorado Springs, a playoff team this year. In Colorado Springs, it was the first time they'd been to the playoffs in about 20 years. And uh, we're going to talk about some guys who did play in the big leagues this year. That's just the way things are. And part of the job of the AAA team is to have players ready to go for the big leagues. Let's start with Lewis Brinson. Puts up huge numbers, got a couple opportunities at the big league level, never really got the playing time with the Brewers to turn into success, hit into a lot of bad luck with the Brewers as well. Uh, all the stat cast numbers said he was hitting the ball hard, but uh, just strictly from a triple-A perspective, you couldn't have asked anything more from him than what he did. Yeah, yeah, definitely uh, argues for the player of the year in the organization. Um, I believe he got it, but I mean, in terms of eternal play argument between fans, uh, he's up there. I mean, great batting average, uh, showed a good amount of power, um, the thing is, kind of like Luis Ortiz, is you don't like to see the entries. And he was out a couple of times um, earlier in the season. He had a wrist issue where he slid into the bag and he had to come out of the game. Um, and then, of course, finished with an injury where he wasn't able to compete for the rest of the year. They have said, 
you know, he might have been able to come back towards the end, but they didn't want to push him. Um, I really, really wish that we would have gotten more consistent playing time out of him in the big leagues. One of my issues with, like you said, the set cast, people support him, and he has a lot of bad luck hitting the ball hard but right at people. But also, I felt like playing him one day and then giving him two days off isn't really the best way to get a guy going. Um, that's neither here or there. The point is that I mean, all around, he had a great season in both, uh, at Colorado Springs. Uh, defensively, he looked great, as advertised, uh, like a really special player defensively. Um, a guy who can play all three outfield positions and play them very well. Um, and, you know, the power was there. He showed a little bit of speed and uh, didn't strike out an amount that made you cringe <laughs> at, the, at 62, which strikeouts are kind of the con- one of the concerns about his drawback. He's able to keep that relatively reined in. So pretty good season overall, and I'm very happy with the numbers uh, through just under 80 games with Lewis Brenton. Another outfielder in Brett Phillips who spent most of the year at Colorado Springs, and we saw what he did throughout the month of September with the Brewers when he was uh, starting most games against uh, right-handers. I mean, it's hard to talk about him at this point without talking about his big league performance, but he put up big numbers at AAA, and and I thought he he did more than anybody could have expected once he got the opportunity at the big league level. Right. Well, I think this is what can give you some excitement about some of the lower offensive numbers in AAA. I mentioned him before. But Brett Phillips, uh, or at double-A, Brett Phillips struggled in velocity. Uh, he came over, again, as a highly touted bat and didn't really have the performance people expected. This Colorado Springs of Brett Phillips is more what people expected. One of the things that happened to him since he came over from the Astros is he gave up a little of his average knowingly to get some more power, and hitting 19 homers and leading the team um, definitely did that. Um, but he's a good mix, and again, very much in the mold of Phillips. I think Phillips is the better player just because he has a little bit more control and power in the bat. But Brett Phillips, you know, can find him as a pretty elite defender. His biggest problem right now is he can get to every ball, he can throw everyone out, but he doesn't always throw to the right player on the field. Um, it didn't take long when he made it to do for Brewers fans to see that, and that's one of the reasons to be excited for him, is he's a really good defender, and his bat's great. So he can be a guy who hits 260 and 25 to 30 home runs while playing amazing defense. So he should be a really fun player, and I, I, I mean, you can already see him becoming a fan favorite. So great guy, and really happy that he was able to come along. Another prospect who's right at the brink. Maybe we'll, uh, who knows, maybe he'll be part of the 25-man roster to start next year. He almost for sure will be uh, making his big league debut next year as Mauricio Dubon in 58 games with the Sky Sox, 272 average. Just another, I mean, I keep using this word. I'm, I'm just saying the same thing over and over and over. But, uh, man, Dubon, it, it's exciting to see him, what he did this year, getting to AAA and thinking about when he could be up with the big league team. Yes. Um, I mean, he had a dominant performance, and half the season set the stolen base record at Biloxi, which ended up being broken anyways by uh, one of his colleagues in Johnny Davis. Uh, but, I mean, he's a base dealing fiend, almost stole 40 bases, and the dude just makes contact. He has a really good bat. Um, I mean, he might never be an above 300 hitter, but he'll always be a good hitter. Uh, might take him a little while to adjust to major league hitting, 
but I mean, he's got a really good bat and plays really solid defense. He's not going to amaze you with anything, but he'll be safe. He's not going to ruin the team by making a mistake. And he'll be one of those guys where I think he's definitely a solution to this uh, second base problem they have. If VR can't win, I think they'll probably put him in a fight with VR for the position in spring training. Maybe and give VR the benefit of the doubt. I'll definitely be up early season if VR can't hold it down because you're not going to have Sogard to back him up anymore. And I don't think that's playing Hernan Perez at second base is the best way to use him either. However, Dubon's an everyday player, and I think, like I said, safe defense, great speed. He can be a really reliable guy. Not sure he's the best leadoff candidate. I know once you people hear speed, they think leadoff. But he doesn't walk a bunch. Um, only a 330 on base percentage over his two levels at the minors. But, uh, I mean, as a two-hole guy, great contact, great speed, can create a lot of issues. I mean, he's just going to be a really safe player, I think. Fans could really appreciate uh, another guy who maybe would have been smarter to talk about at a different level, but he does technically end the season at Colorado Springs, is Lucas Ersig. And we were talking about Ersig a lot in spring training and continued to talk about him through the year. It was a bit of a roller coaster for him. He had some good moments. He had some uh, not as good moments. Uh, but Ersig, uh, to me, he's on track to be a, a major league third baseman at some point in the next few years, right? Um, absolutely. The team loves him, obviously. You don't promote a guy to a triple-A playoff run unless you think the guy is going to contribute in the near future. Obviously, they think he's going to contribute in the near future because they made that move. Um, so now, here he is, and looks like a very solid contributor. Um, I mean, his single-A numbers, or A-plus numbers at Carolina, weren't anything to write home about, but he did. I been saying that a lot, too, over the last three weeks. Uh, but, I mean, he did end up leading the team in homers, uh, so the power stroke was still there, but it wasn't that storm that got people really excited in Wisconsin in spring training. Uh, I think Carolina's just a difficult place to hit. He was able to come on, and I don't think if he wasn't doing good things that the team really liked, that they would have brought him up to AAA to be in a playoff race. I think they wanted to get him that competitive experience, of going, or, you know, going to the playoffs and working with the team. This was his second time because he was also part of that Wisconsin run last year. So uh, they clearly want to get him that winning deal. Um, I can't imagine that he won't be at Biloxi, maybe even skips Biloxi next year and go straight to Colorado Springs that they're making this type of move right away. Um, however, I don't know what the team's going to do with third base and first base then because you have Thames for three more years, for two more years, he was signed to a three-year contract. Then Thames is around for the same amount of time, too. So, I mean, I'm sure they'll make room for him somewhere if they love him that much. It's a good problem uh, to have. Uh, yeah, exactly. And it's a problem the Brewers haven't had in a while. So always be appreciative of that. Uh, a couple guys... Just real quick on these guys, we'll move to pitching and then we'll wrap up. Yadiel Rivera, we saw him in the month of September uh, get cleared off the 40-man, technically placed back at Colorado Springs, but he'll be a, a minor league free agent. His future is probably not with the Brewers. And then Kyle, Kyle Wren puts up another good year but never gets added. I mean, is it is it safe to say that these two guys, probably their runs with the Brewers, if they want to play at the major league level, is done? 
Yeah, I think they have to be. I was kind of disappointed. There were opportunities throughout the season for the Brewers need a fourth outfielder. Um, and I thought Ren was always a good candidate for that. But he never got the chance. I think his role as a fourth outfielder, and I think he can do that role very, very well. Um, so I was kind of disappointed he never got that chance. Um, I think the one thing with the Brewers organization is I think they try to treat players for the most part very well. They've had some hang-ups in the past over the last few years, but for the most part, I think their goal is to really treat players well. And I think that they're going to give Rivera an opportunity to sign somewhere else if he thinks that's best for him. And I think that Ryan's definitely going to end up going somewhere else so he can get an opportunity in a place that doesn't have multiple top prospects in the outfield at every level. Um, so, I mean, that's only fair to run, especially. Rivera, if he doesn't get any offers, I could see him coming back and being a triple-A guy. Maybe a guy who, if Hernan goes down and you need a multiple-position person, is bumped back up to the 40-man around. But he'll never be a guy who's around for a long time. It's definitely one of those players who, if he's with the Brewers, will definitely be DFA'd over and over again. But I could see him coming back and being part of the AAA team again. From a pitching standpoint, maybe the most interesting pitcher this year and just got called up to Colorado Springs at the end of the year. Again, another guy we could talk about at a different level. Nick Ramirez put up huge numbers, uh, went through the position switch. I believe they have a decision to make on him now, a uh, 40-man roster, or uh, make him available to other teams. What in the world do you do with Nick Ramirez? I think you make him part of the 40-man roster and give him a little bit of AAA. And if he doesn't do anything, then you can let him go and let him have a chance at another team. But for a guy who was drafted as a two-way player and they tried him at first base, and, and, and then to go a few years without pitching again, he was a pretty good pitcher. <laughs> pretty good putting it too lightly. He was a great pitcher. Uh, I mean... He was very, very reliable for the Biloxi bullpen. Um, ended up shutting the door for uh, them a couple times. And then, on top of it, actually helped them with the bat a few times, too. Uh, cranked two homers. One was a grand slam. Um, <laughs> so, I mean, he was just very, very exciting. with his, uh, And to put up that 1-3-70 ERA, uh, which doesn't necessarily hold true if you look at the FIP and DRA, the advanced metrics on that. But he still had a good season by those two. Um, and it seemed as the season went on, he just kept getting better. Uh, I, I hope they give him a chance. Uh, like I said, maybe you put him at Colorado Springs and then try him out in the big league team. This is one of those things, though, where you got to go with the interns that I trust. And if they, if they let him go, I think it's because they believe that it, his performance is kind of an anomaly, and he's not actually going to have big league stuff. Uh, so I would definitely trust their decision, but if they keep him, I think they give him a little bit at Colorado Springs, and he's probably one of the first pitchers up when they need a bullpen pitcher if he's performing well. Taylor Youngman puts up a 2.59 ERA in 17 games in a place in Colorado Springs that he had really struggled and then he doesn't get a September call-up, and if there was anybody that had September call-up written all over him, it was Youngman. Ha- have we seen the end of Taylor Youngman in the Brewers organization? Uh, I don't know. I mean, I I hope not, because, again, like he, he performed very well. 
I hope this was kind of a safety bet because mentality is very important to pitchers. And you can tell that the Brewers think it's very important as well, and that's why they bounce people around Biloxi and Colorado Springs like they do so much. So Taylor ended his season extremely strong at Colorado Springs. So I think I'd like to think the goal is that they're just giving him time to just revel in his success and just think back on or end on a good note, not give him any chance to blow up with the big league team, and then bring him back and either give him have him fight for a rotation spot or put him in the bullpen next year. Um, if he doesn't make the wrong start of spring training, then I think that's a definite signifier that, yes, his tenure with the big league team is over. Um, maybe he sticks around in the minors and then gets cut loose. I, I don't know. Maybe they DFA him right away if he's still in the 40-man come then. But I, uh, I was a little confused with it, but I definitely hope it's one of those situations where they just want him to end on a, a great level of success and overcoming a big challenge for him. I, I get what you're saying, Brad. And I, I just, uh, to me, they needed pitching. They needed starting pitching. They needed, you know, they've been going with bullpen games there in September. And uh, I, I thought it was, very, I thought it was, I thought it was more telling than you did that they did not bring him up in September. See, I get that, but I, I, I mean, Stearns is one of those guys who, every time you see him make a move. It's one of those moves where it's for the future. Uh, you could say the same thing, as I mentioned earlier, about Lewis Princeton. He deserved a pretty extensive look with his numbers. Every time we called him up, he got a game here, a game there. Didn't really do well. Back down, back up, game here, game there. Then he gets injured. He deserved, especially when Keanu was struggling, a really good look. But because he was struggling, they wanted him to have the success and keep the mentality going and didn't or wanted to work around with the players that they already have and not jeopardize his performance, and they kept bouncing him up around that because David Stearns knew this season's a gift, but you got to play around for the future. So I I think that that has to like that plays a big part. Um, whereas players who did come up and help out later in the year, um, like your Aaron Wilkerson's, your Beach Wines, uh, didn't do or weren't as important to the system and could just help the team out after a strong season. All right. Fair enough. Um, yeah, I think that should do it at, at AAA. Obviously another team that was just uh, stacked with prospects and looked a little bit different at the end of the year than they did throughout much of the year, but had a, had a great year. Uh, Brad, great stuff. We encourage everybody to uh, to read you uh, over at Brew Crew Ball. Follow you on Twitter at Brew Crew Blue. Uh, I'm sure with uh, with winter leagues and things like that, we'll, uh, we'll get you on uh, some more during the course of uh, the rest of the offseason. That sounds great. And I definitely look forward to it all. Like I said, uh, it's the last episode. It helps me stretch that itch that I feel when the minor league isn't go- season isn't going on. And Arizona Fall League and Winter League just don't do enough. And that was Brad Ford, the final part, the third part of our three-part conversation talking about the minor league system. And uh, we appreciate Brad uh, sticking with us for a long time. Those were uh, some longer conversations, and we did three of them. Again, if you missed the uh, review of the uh, short season teams, that was two episodes ago. 
and last week was a review of the single-A teams in Wisconsin and Carolina. So uh, a lot to get into over the three parts, and I appreciate Brad taking some time with us. That's going to do it for uh, the program for this week. Again, uh, as the offseason continues on and the baseball playoffs continue on and everything, uh, I'd encourage you to join me on Thursday nights on 620 WTMJ. We have our Brewers Weekly Show. That runs from 8 o'clock to 9 o'clock every Thursday night, uh, assuming that there's not a Bucks game. If there's a Bucks game, we get bumped for that. But uh, outside of a Bucks game, we are there on Thursday nights and always encourage you to uh, join us for that if you would uh, like to do so. So, again, a big thank you to uh, my guest, Adam Rigg joined us just a little while ago, and uh, we also had uh, Brad Ford just a moment ago. This is uh, Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast powered by WTMJ Mobile. Have a fantastic week. Thanks so much for being tuned in. We'll talk to you next week with another episode here on WTMJ Mobile. Thanks for listening to Brewers Extra Innings, the podcast. Matt will be back next week with another episode. For all the latest Brewers news, keep listening to a home of the Brewers. News Radio 620 WTMJ.